Warning, the following podcast probably contains dirty words and graphic descriptions of ass-kicking action. to the Adkins Diet Podcast, the podcast where we attempt to watch every movie featuring prolific actor and martial artist Scott Adkins. I am Adam, and I'm joined by my wonderful wife, Whitney. Hello. Apologies for any issues with the sound quality of this episode. We are recording in a new apartment and still trying to figure out the best space to record in. Hello, and welcome to the Adkins Diet Podcast. This week we're watching El Gringo, a 2012 action film starring Scott Adkins, directed by Eduardo Rodriguez and written by Jonathan Stokes. This film was part of the After Dark action series from After Dark Films, uh, who became known for producing the After Dark Horror Fest, also known as the Eight Horror Films to Die For, a series of eight films each year that they produced or distributed, which had a few decent horror movies in there. And they began producing other types of films, including the After Dark Action Label, briefly, Uh, The After Dark Horror films had a few notable entries. My wife and I quite enjoyed Dark Ride, a slasher film that starred Patrick Renna, also known as Ham from Sandlot, the chubby redheaded dude. That was a pretty vulgar and violent slasher movie that we found very amusing. And I've heard good things about a couple of the other movies that they distributed, including Mulberry Street. Uh, They also distributed Frontiers, the ultra-violent French slasher movie that was like Texas Chainsaw Massacre on steroids, and we both enjoyed that one. They spent a brief period from 2012 to 2014 trying to produce some action movies under their label, and that is when El Gringo was made. This is a movie featuring Scott Adkins and Christian Slater, where Adkins plays a detective who escapes across the Mexican border with a large amount of money after a arrest gone wrong results in the death of his fellow police officers. As the film begins, we see him driving a car with a flat tire through the desert, and he pulls over and opens the trunk to reveal Tortuga, a shot-up Mexican drug lord who Adkins proceeds to interrogate about a map to try and find out where he is, and he is told the town of El Fronteras is nearby, and afterwards he leaves the gunshot 
Tortuga closed in the trunk and sets fire to a rag in the gas tank, exploding him. Adkins then travels to the nearby town of El Fronteras. Uh, so my first issue with the movie is this could be wrong. This is based on my high school level knowledge of Spanish, but Fronteras should be at least Los Fronteras because it is plural. They refer to it as El Fronteras. I thought it would also be feminine with the A at the end, so Las Fronteras or La Fronteras, but they call it El Fronteras, which seems wrong, but that could just be my high school level Spanish betraying my knowledge here. As soon as he enters the town, Adkins is accosted by Flaca, who is a young female thief who tries to rob him and take the duffel bag full of money that he took from the previous incident. And he breaks her nose, knocks her down, and demands her shirt and also takes her knife. So we established pretty early on that Scott Adkins' character is not a super nice guy. The first thing we see him do is burn a gunshot man alive in his car and then beat down a woman and take her shirt. But in between, he saves a puppy. Yeah, I guess that is that is the other important establishing point because they do want to make Scott Adkins not completely unlikable. So after he leaves the gunshot Tortuga to burn alive in a car that he set aflame, Adkins does come upon a shack with three Mexican thugs who are mistreating a dog they have chained up. And Adkins initially is interested due to their bottle of water, but he also tells them to leave the dog alone. And when they don't listen, he beats the shit out of them and then frees the dog, who follows him around for the rest of the movie, not contributing to most situations and prompting a few fun moments of Scott Adkins being harassed, attacked, or knocked out and then looking over at the dog as if expecting him to assist him and the dog's just chilling and he is very disappointed as a result but it's an awfully cute puppy it's an ugly cute puppy i think they did a good job of of making it look like a dog that somebody might have chained up abusing it um he he's an ugly mutt but he's cute in an ugly way and he is definitely looking patchy and and like someone has been mistreating him poor poopy uh we then see adkins trying to obtain water from everyone around town but no one wants to give him anything despite his offers of hundred dollar american bills everywhere and eventually he lands in the bar of anna a uh, very attractive woman with very sweaty cleavage that we get some close-ups of. And once Adkins finally offers her $500, she gives him a shot of tap water. We also cut away to Flacca meeting up with the local gang who make up apparently about 50% of the population of this small town. The gang are led by Culebra, 
who has uh, kind of a half-assed skull face face paint. A good chunk of the gang has this half-assed face paint where it seems like they bought like maybe one pack of Halloween grease paint and then had to spread it out over a dozen guys because they all have a little bit of white face paint and some black pencil etching like skull teeth over their lips but it very much seems like they didn't have enough paint to go around or didn't care enough to pay the time and attention to each person um he also reminded me a little bit of caesar romero and the old batman adam west tv show where caesar romero refused to shave his mustache before putting the joker face paint on so he had white face paint over his mustache and it was kind of amusing um in this case they don't even have enough white face paint to cover up his mustache he just has a little bit of white face paint a very dark black mustache and then some black teeth drawn over his lips um but it it's not very imposing he looks kind of like gomez adams had a really lazy day of the dead costume uh we're by this point we've also seen some of the stylistic ticks of the movie uh, it feels like it's trying to be a hyper stylized film in the style of robert rodriguez or a little bit of quentin tarantino um there's the occasional random cut to black and white on a character frequently when it seems like they're gonna die the general color grading of the movie is hyper saturated uh lots of rapid editing and quick cutting uh, we also have Sergio Leone style cuts to close-ups of characters' eyes, except to make them cooler in quotation marks, they're accompanied by unnecessary gunshot sounds, which is pretty hilarious. We see that Culebra has a gang of dime store juggalos, I would call them, with their half-assed face paint, or maybe dollar general day of the dead and they are harassed by the local sheriff who seems to enjoy randomly shooting at stray dogs but also at the gang members who are under his employ but i guess that's a way to motivate your employees is randomly shooting a gun at them yosemite sam style and we see the they are jumping in a new gang member who is a super white guy. Uh, Nako just seems like some random European dude. Now, this movie was shot in Louisiana and Bulgaria, so I'm assuming a large chunk of the supposedly Hispanic cast members are Eastern European or otherwise not Hispanic, but the only time it's really noticeable is with new gang member Nako whose gang jumped in because that's obviously just some wonky ass looking white European dude. But they beat the shit out of him and he gets to be a gang member. And then Flocka comes along and says, Hey, I wish I was a gang member too. Uh, when are you gonna jump me in? And Kulebra asks her what she's done, and she says that she unsuccessfully tried to take the bag from Scott Adkins' character, 
and then admits that she got her shirt stolen also. So he is not impressed and tells her that she needs to kill someone before she can become a member of the gang. And we see a couple of flashbacks to how Adkins ended up in this situation. He was a detective who, along with three other officers, was lured into a bad situation with some cartel members where they were going to unsuccessfully attempt an arrest, and instead they got shot up with a whole bunch of machine guns and shotguns, and Scott Adkins was the only survivor. Uh, He manages to make it into the trunk of the car, trying to grab the shotguns when he thinks everyone else is gonna get shot, which they do. But he bursts out of the trunk and blows a bunch of dudes away, uses his shotguns and pistols and some hand-to-hand, and that's how he makes it into the situation where he has an injured Tortuga in the trunk of his car at the beginning of the film. We do get a second flashback to this sequence where we see a little bit more of his fight with the final survivor of the cartel, El Jefe. Uh, This is another of the movie's stylistic quirks is a number of the characters get a freeze frame and a title card announcing their fairly generic character title. So El Jefe gets his own character card and we see Scott Adkins fight him and it's a pretty entertaining fight sequence as they beat the shit out of each other. It seems like El Jefe needs his hat to survive as every time Adkins knocks off his hat he gets very upset and stops the fight to try and pick it up again. So my theory was that it's like a boss fight in a video game and El Jefe can only be harmed while his hat is off. Uh, But eventually he gets shot up too. At this point, Lieutenant West, played by Christian Slater, who is one of the superiors of Scott Adkins' character, shows up on the scene and discovers that most of his crew had been shot up except for one survivor and the bag of money disappearing. And he uses his resources and drones to discover that Scott Adkins escaped towards the town of El Fronteras. During his first day in the town, Scott Adkins missed the only bus out of Fronteras at 2 p.m. And in his time with Anna, whose attic he stays in overnight, he discovers there is actually a bus out of Fronteras that could take him to Acapulco, which is his ultimate destination. Every time he mentions it, we get a smash cut to a bunch of postcard-style images of Acapulco. And he finds out that as long as he is at the bus by 2 p.m. the next day, he can get out of town, which is Anna's advice to him. However, the next day, when he's hiding out on the rooftops after barely escaping with his bag again when Flacca harasses him and steals it and leads him on a chase through the town, it's a few minutes before 2 and he starts making his way there, when he is attacked by seemingly the entirety of the cartel gang, who he proceeds to shoot the hell out of in an extended action sequence, 
but ultimately ends up missing the bus. He returns to Anna, gunshot and bleeding, and she proceeds to use her bra and panties as tourniquets to try and save him. And her vagina. I don't think that was to try and save him. I think that was just to try and get some sexy action. Just saying, they had sex immediately after the gunfight. She bandages him up a little first, but yeah, probably a health concern. I'm guessing he was still bleeding at that point. Christian Slater's character has actively refused the police procedure and taken vacation time and intimidated his way across an illegal border crossing to find his way to La Frontera or El Fronteras. So we can discern that his character is probably not legitimately motivated because he is seeking Adkin's character in the bag of money through illegal means. Eventually, the confrontation goes down and somehow there are still surviving gang members despite the wholesale slaughter that Adkin's engaged in the previous day. And Slater tries to arrest him and take him into the sheriff. Now, of course, we know the sheriff is corrupt and part of the gang, so this doesn't go well. And basically, it just ends with everyone shooting and punching and stabbing each other until Scott Adkins manages to take out the rest of the gang and Christian Slater after a kind of a shitty car chase in the desert and he gives out most of the money to the local townsfolk and ends up with Anna happily ever after not going to Acapulco. So, how was the movie? Um, I have to say, there was not a lot of hand-to-hand fighting, but I thought that considering the low budget, a lot of the shootouts were pretty entertaining. Uh, little bits of hand-to-hand fighting we got were entertaining and the stylistic elements got a little repetitive and a little obtrusive Um, I don't think we needed quite as many title cards or black and white shots or rapid cuts as we got but I understand that it was a low-budget film and they were trying to be stylish so I can't really hold that against them uh, for the most part, it, it, it stayed pretty entertaining, and, and Scott Adkins killed the shit out of a bunch of people, uh, particularly the centerpiece action sequence where he's trying to make it to the bus station by 2 p.m. There's like a six, uh, five or six minutes of clocks counting down while he just murders dozens of people in the gang, in some pretty well choreographed shootouts and and stunt sequences. Um, I thought that for the the budget and the size of the picture, these were pretty well done. I give this movie a 5 out of 10. And I only say that because as much as I don't like gunplay, I didn't mind the gunplay in this movie because it was well done. I didn't get enough action with Scott Atkins just beating people's asses, there was a really cool scene where he double jump kicks somebody into the chest. That was El Jefe. That was pretty awesome. I thought that was pretty sweet. That was my favorite part of the movie. And I feel like the plot was 
you know, it was okay. It wasn't great, but it was okay. So I like this movie, but it will not be one of my favorite Scott Atkins movies by far. Yeah, I wouldn't put this as one of my favorite Scott Atkins movies either. Um, but I would say in terms of Scott Adkins movies that don't focus on hand-to-hand combat, like the many movies where he is involved in some kind of fighting tournament, uh, I thought that it, it managed to justify a couple decent hand-to-hand fights, and the shootouts were pretty cool. Um, the, the best martial arts move he does in the movie is by far the moment where... He double straight kicks with two legs, El Jefe in the chest. That was awesome. I can't deny that. Um, But it had a couple cool shootout moments, too. Uh, The sequence where the rest of his fellow police officers are shot up in their car and he's hiding in the trunk, desperately loading a shotgun or two shotguns was pretty tense. And then the moment where the bad guys open up the trunk and he blasts two of them in the chest with shotguns was pretty awesome he also has a great moment during the big shootout where he kills a few dozen cartel members where he gets up close to a guy and is beating on him and yeah the bad guy has a shotgun on a strap and adkins kicks the shotgun so it swings around and then he shoots another guy with the shotgun and then shoots the guy who the shotgun was mounted to. That was pretty badass. And there's also a delightfully ridiculous moment where a bunch of guys are creeping down a tiny alley and Scott Adkins shoots four of them through the head with a single bullet. So that was pretty sweet. Uh, Oh, oh, oh. I like the part where Scott Atkins is like, I can see the reflection in this window. And he shoots around a corner from a reflection in a window and kills two guys. It was pretty hilarious. Yeah, that was pretty cool, too. I think somebody kills somebody out of a reflection in someone's eye, too. Um, Oh, yeah. Or maybe they just saw Atkins' reflection in their eye and that was a moment of like, oh, we're going to die. I can't remember exactly, but there was some computer imposed image of uh adkins on somebody's eye right before they died that was amusing so yeah it's it's not as much hand-to-hand fighting as i would like to show off scott adkins martial arts skills but for a movie that's a pretty low budget action flick with adkins shooting a bunch of people it managed to do a pretty solid job of ripping off your john woo action sequence shootouts on a low budget so i'll give it credit for that i also found it amusing that uh the dog adkins rescues during the first fight scene in the movie when he sees the three random guys harassing their dog and beats the shit out of them and frees the dog it follows him around for the rest of the movie and it's a pretty good running joke where Adkins is harassed or gets the shit beaten out of him by a bunch of people and then he looks over at the dog with no response from the dog who's just sitting there like Mur. what do or you the expect? The dog just puts his head down and his tail between his legs and is like, I'm like what? what do you expect? I'm a dog what do you expect me to do? <laughs> and then of course finally at the pivotal moment the dog jumps out and bites somebody 
Um, I'd actually kind of prefer if the dog had never helped and that running joke had just resulted in, you know, the anticlimax of the dog not actually doing anything. But I understand if you're writing a B-movie, you don't play a beat like that over and over again for an anticlimax. You play it over and over again so you get the one moment where the dog does actually help and it's a surprise and you're like, oh, he helped the doggy and the doggy helped him. So I can get over that. But I still kind of think it would have been better if the dog never helped him in the end and he just ended the movie looking pissed off at the dog like, what's up, bro? Now let's get into the Adkins nutrition facts for the movie. Um, this might have the highest body count of any Scott Adkins movies uh, I've seen. It definitely has the highest body count of any movie we've watched so far for the podcast. Um, so based on my rough estimates, the body count for this movie is 65 people killed, 60 of them killed by Scott Adkins. The knockout count is 13, 10 of them knocked out by Scott Adkins. And take in mind that when you first see the gang in the first couple of scenes, there's not more than 15 or 20 of these gang members. In the preceding scenes that follow where he's trying to escape town and they're trying to stop him, like 50 or 60 gang members pop up and he kills them. I'd say we saw a couple dozen when they first gather, but still, the just in that main sequence where he's trying to make it to the bus by 2 p.m., we definitely see him kill more gang members than we had seen in the entire movie previously at this point. I mean, he's busting out pistols and shotguns and assault rifles and just blowing the hell out of a bunch of people. And it, it is at least 60 people, 60 bodies deep that he shoots his way through by the end of the movie. Um, so that is a very impressive body count. It's like half the town secretly joined the gang overnight. Well, when he talks to Anna, he does find out that the town used to be a, a tourist town. And then eventually cartel violence became an issue and tourists stopped coming. So the uh, cartels pay everyone in the town off like not to talk to strangers or interact with them which is why Adkins couldn't get a glass of water for the first 20 minutes of the movie. But even in accounting for that, the 60-person death toll on the gang is, is pretty extreme. So I should state in these Adkins nutrition facts, there is no training montage in this movie. Uh, I can't really see how a training montage would have fit into this movie, but it still feels like something's missing because so many Scott Adkins movies give us a training montage. The first fight scene is only five minutes and 40 seconds in when he beats up the guys who are abusing the dog. So we get first action, five minutes, 40 seconds, body count of 65, 60 from Scott Adkins. That's, that's how little we see the bad guys do. We see them execute or beat up a couple of people but they only beat up 
three guys and kill five guys, whereas Adkins kills 60 guys and beats up at least 10 guys. So that was a pretty brutal showing from Adkins there. And, and we've mentioned that most of his best moves come from the firearms, except for his double straight leg kick to a bad guy's chest during the El Jefe fight. So now it is time for Whitney with the Abskins report. I'm giving the Abskins report for this movie to be about a two out of five because he is only shirtless for a brief section of the sex scene, which mostly focuses on him touching the female lead's face and not very much shirtlessness on his part. And then at the beginning of the movie, you do see him in a tight tank top where you can't see his man nipples. So that's kind of hot. It's all dirty and kind of wet, but it really isn't very pleasing as far as shirtless Scott Atkins goes because there just wasn't enough of it. I felt like she could have invited him in for a shower. He was filthy for the whole movie. Even after she cleaned him up when he was all bullet shot from the fight, uh, I didn't see him take a shower he was still pretty bloody after they had sex so i feel like we could have seen a shirtless scott atkins in the shower in this movie it's really making me angry yeah you don't get that much of anna the bartender either um when adkins first shows up in our bar trying to get a glass of water you do get a couple close-ups of her very sweaty very pressed up cleavage which was quite enjoyable, but by the time she's wiping him down and making love to him, it results in a tiny bit of side boob and even less very brief frontal boob. And as Whitney mentioned, you don't get much shirtless Scott Adkins here either. It's that kind of sex scene where you get lots of close-ups of vaguely defined sweaty body parts and you don't really get a good look at anyone involved it felt like a more incompetent version of the sex sequence in desperado where at times you don't know if you're looking at selma hayek or antonio banderas except in this case you didn't care who you were looking at because it wasn't like sensual outlines or anything it was just random sweaty close-ups so i would agree that it could have delivered more for the men and the ladies in the audience it didn't really satisfy for your shirtless scott adkins needs and it definitely didn't satisfy my hopes for shirtless anna scenes Uh, so we'll say that in that respect it was a bit of a failure Uh, So one random thing that I did notice with the movie, uh, there's a fun example of how incestuous these straight-to-video action flicks are that frequently shoot in Bulgaria or other Eastern European nations. Uh, Valentin Ganev, who plays Deputy Chief Logan in a small role in this, also played the Warden in Undisputed 2 through 4, and has a small role in Scott Adkins' film Ninja. So that's one guy who's in five movies with Scott Adkins in minor roles. Uh, And speaking of minor roles, the recommendations for this one 
are a little tough. Uh, I haven't seen the few other movies from the, the writer of this film and the director of this film. So for my recommendations, I'm going to go with a mild recommendation for another Christian Slater action film, 3,000 Miles to Graceland. It is a movie where Kurt Russell, Kevin Costner, Christian Slater, Bakeem Woodbine, and David Arquette, who I'm assuming was only there because he was married to female lead Courtney Cox at the time, all play Elvis impersonators who rob a casino that results in a bloody shootout and betrayals and twists and turns all around. Uh, it's not a great movie, but it has a couple decent shootouts. It has a bizarre star-studded cast in addition to all the Elvises I just mentioned and Courtney Cox. It also has John Lovitz, uh, former football player Howie Long, Ice-T, and the FBI agent who's after the gang is played by Kevin Pollack. It has some really weird random moments like uh, opening credits sequence featuring a fight between two CGI robot scorpions that feels like b-roll footage from an episode of transformers beast wars uh like i said i i can't 100 percent recommend this as a good movie but 3000 miles to graceland is is worth watching just as an oddity it's weirdly mean-spirited and violent um kevin costner plays a bad guy for one of the only times i've seen in his career so, you know, a good soundtrack, a couple shootouts, and just a, a weird tone and some random bullshit make it an interesting oddity to watch. Also, uh, Yvette Yates, who plays Anna, the sexy bartender in this film, has a very small role in the movie In the Blood, starring Gina Carano and directed by John Stockwell. I can't really recommend In the Blood as a great movie either. Um, John Stockwell's direction is efficient, but not that interesting. But the main reason it's of interest is it's one of Gina Carano's only other starring roles since Haywire. And that is just a sexy, badass woman, and I love watching her beat the shit out of people. Uh, it seems like it came out as kind of a gender-flipped ripoff of Taken because her new husband disappears on a Caribbean island after an accident and the authorities don't really want to help her or believe her which I guess actually makes it a little bit of Taken a little bit of Breakdown the Kurt Russell movie from the mid-90s where his wife disappeared after a car incident and no one seems to believe him, and everyone's in on the conspiracy. Uh, so it's it's a similar kind of premise with Gina Carano beating the shit out of a bunch of people in the Caribbean trying to find her way back to her husband. Uh, the plot gets ridiculous in an amusing way towards the end, and the su supporting cast includes Danny Trejo and Luis Guzman, so... Not a, a great movie, maybe not even a good movie. Hey, I thought it was a good movie. I love that movie. 
I didn't even remember that you watched that one with me. Are you sure you didn't just love it because of watching Gina Carano choke people out with her thighs? No, that's exactly why I loved watching it. But don't you think the director and the script could have done a better job of setting up more people getting choked out by Gina Carano's thighs? I guess so. But I feel like I don't get enough Gina Carano choking people with their thighs, so I felt like it was a great movie. I mean, there's not enough Gina Carano in anything, so I agree with you on that. The whole reason that movie exists is because you want to see Gina Carano beat the shit out of people, and which it does pretty decently. I mean, other than Haywire. I, mean, I found the elaborate plot twists and turns to get from my husband's hurt to... Elaborate drug cartel kidnapping <laughs> slash illegal surgery. Yes, yes. Yeah, it was, it was pretty fun. It was, it was, it was it a was fun, amusing. dumb movie. It was amusing. I'll, I'll give it that. It was a fun, dumb movie. Now, for a wholehearted recommendation that's not directly related to this movie, but in terms of being a... Uh, obviously, El Gringo was going for a uh, hyper-real, cartoonish kind of border crime setting. Um, I would say the thing that it seemed most influenced by is the El Mariachi trilogy, which... At this point, I assume most people have seen, but if for some reason you haven't, um, El Mariachi is the originator of an amazing, super low-budget, homemade action flick that launched Robert Rodriguez's career. Then for Desperado, he got a couple of million dollars and made it look like five times that because it was such a badass action movie. And then my favorite was actually the finale to the, his trilogy, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, which somehow only had a budget of like $30 million, but looks two or three times that much as an epic action movie. Um, it's all over the place. It has a huge cast, a bunch of intersecting plot lines. But goddamn, I think Once Upon a Time in Mexico is an awesome, badass movie. Um uh, Johnny Depp's asshole FBI agent is great. I felt like there was like five movies in that movie. Yeah, isn't that great? You got to see five movies at once. You got to see a movie about Johnny Depp's asshole FBI agent stirring up a bunch of different crime syndicates and revolutionaries in Mexico and then getting his comeuppance when they rip his fucking eyes out and leave him to die on the streets but he's badass enough that he has the chicleta boy help him in a shootout after he's lost his eyes and kills his assassins that was fucking awesome and then you have flashbacks to like a whole extra movie between desperado and once upon a time in mexico which is uh antonio banderas and salma hayek's character from desperado fighting and and eventually being cornered and caught by the willem defoe's evil general character and then you have you know other random plot lines with ruben blades's character and antonio banderas calling in the other mariachis and the assassination plot against mexico's governor or president and there's there's just a ridiculous amount of shit going on in that movie it's it's the definition of throwing everything against the wall and seeing what sticks 
and a lot of it sticks for me. And it was Rodriguez's first movie shooting on digital, which was the beginning of his downfall, unfortunately. Um, I, I really enjoy Planet Terror, and I think the first, Maria, uh, the first Machete movie was fun. It seems like after that, with Sin City 2 and with, El, and with Machete 2, Rodriguez has hit a George Lucas level of complete lack of connection to reality where he just shoots a bunch of bullshit on green screen and then throws it together with after production and it all looks like garbage and barely connects together which i think is a real shame because with once upon a time in mexico especially and with planet terror i feel like he used those homemade special effects and and digital shooting together to make a really cheap fast but still entertaining and cohesive action movie uh, it's just after that he became too dependent on the effects and and he got lazy yeah I, I guess that's it i mean with with machete too it you don't feel the connection from shot to shot it just feels like get whatever footage you can and then we'll chop it up in green screen and after effects the hell out of it and try and make a legible movie uh but i think it doesn't create good flow yeah it, uh, it doesn't i mean that's that's one of the things especially about desperado is you see even though we had an incredibly low budget for a mainstream action movie he choreographed and directed the hell out of those fight scenes and it feels like it all flows together uh, in the behind-the-scenes footage, you see that one of the key parts of it was that Antonio Banderas is a professional dancer, and Rodriguez choreographed these shootouts like they were dance sequences. Banderas had his beats that he, or he had his moves that he had to hit on each beat, and he moved through the sequence, and it all flows together and edits together into awesome badass cohesive action sequences whereas by the time he gets beyond once upon a time in mexico and planet terror it feels like that cohesiveness is just gone and it's just throwing together whatever shots he can grab go ahead and give a wholehearted recommendation to once upon a time in mexico desperado and el mariachi and then uh, a recommendation to anyone who loves Gina Carano to watch In the Blood and then a watch it for curiosity's sake recommendation to 3000 Miles to Graceland which apart from the cast and the soundtrack is a very uneven and unusual movie and it's got a bullshit CGI robot scorpion fight during the credits for no reason, so why not check that out? So El Gringo is currently streaming for subscriptions on Hulu and Epics. Uh, you can also probably find it on DVD very cheap. I think I paid about eight bucks for it. And I'd say for under $10, $10 or less, it's worth it. It is a pretty entertaining movie. Once Upon a Time in Mexico is currently streaming for Hulu subscriptions and for free on Crackle if you can put up with advertisements. Uh, in the Blood 
is not currently streaming but is available for digital rental or a cheap dvd purchase and 3000 miles to graceland doesn't seem to be streaming anywhere right now but it's the kind of movie that you can find in a discount dvd bin very cheap so in terms of overall movie quality ranking um I would say El Gringo was better than Green Street Hooligans. Um, I don't think it was quite better than Wolf Warrior and definitely behind Undisputed 2. Uh, in terms of overall Scott Adkinsness, I would say since he has the lead role and shoots and kicks a bunch of ass that it probably ranks above Wolf Warrior in terms of Scott Adkinsness and above Green Street Hooligans, uh, lagging only behind Undisputed 2. I don't know. I liked Wolf Warrior better than this. As a movie or as a Scott Adkins movie? As a movie. As a Scott Adkins movie, I say I liked it less because it didn't have as much Scott Adkins and Wolf Warrior. But I say I enjoyed Wolf Warrior a lot more than this movie I felt like as much as this had Scott Atkins in it, it didn't have the pure essence of Scott Atkins, which is him just beating the shit out of people with his hands. But he only feet. But he only had that one big fight in Wolf Warrior too. He had a lot more shootouts in this one and even possibly even more hand to hand, but he only had the one big fight with El Jefe in flashback. Which, I will say, is not as good as his big fight with Wu Jing at the end of Wolf Warrior. But I still thought overall, in terms of whether you're looking for sexy Scott Adkins or you're looking for Adkins murdering and beating the shit out of people, I thought it was better than a Wolf Warrior in terms of Adkinsness. Well, I agree with that. I just liked Wolf Warrior better. It was a more enjoyable movie for me. All right, so we're going to agree then in terms of overall movie quality. It is above Green Street Hooligans, but below Wolf Warriors. But in terms of actual Adkinsness, it is above both Wolf Warrior and Green Street Hooligans, right? I agree. All right, we have consensus. And that about wraps it up. As always, thank you for listening and have a great day.